0: You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.
1: We just thought we would try something a little bit different today. Um, A while ago in staff meeting, this was maybe three weeks ago, Robin and Donna and myself and Chris and Brandy, I think, were there and we were just, we were really talking through what has been probably one of the most tumultuous seasons that this nation has ever experienced, at least at least maybe in the past 50 years. And, um, and we, were, we were, when we gather as a staff, we talk about what we're, we're trying to do. We talk about what we're being faced with. And then we, we prayerfully consider what we're supposed to do. So there's a lot of times where we're looking for answers that we don't quite have the answers to yet. And on this particular occasion, uh, we were talking through this, this current cultural moment. And Robin and Donna just started sharing to the rest of us kind of their heart for Queen City Church. And Chris and I both simultaneously said gosh that is really good we should say that stuff out loud <laughs> so so our heart for today is really um kind of just to to reveal what we have in our hearts as as pastors of the church and more specifically Robin and Donna the things that they uh that they really feel called to in in this in this work of leading a local body of of Christ, and so um, I just wanted to say a few things before we get got started, and, and that's that. Uh, you know, pastoring. I'm sure many of you guys have have done this math before, but. But pastoring in normal times is not an easy task, and in this last season, it's been especially hard because there has been no blueprint. There's not an existing blueprint for leaders in unknown times. So sometimes you're just trying to catch up. You 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 don't even maybe understand what the questions are, much less the answers. So it's been it's been a A tough season, as you're probably well aware. Another thing that you've probably been aware of, if you've paid attention at Mm -hmm. all, uh, is that emotions and opinions have been at an all-time high, haven't they? Especially in this last year, maybe year and a half. And then, so there's a couple of things we want to talk through today. It's 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 the it's the tensions that we have discovered being in a pandemic. And then also living through the, the political climate of the last year and year and a half. So, so here's, here's a couple of things that I want to say. Christians have all kinds of different opinions and thoughts about things concerning politics and things concerning the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay, not, Christians don't all think the same thing all the time. There are varied opinions and ideas happening, okay, as I'm sure you're aware. So here's another thing. It's almost impossible to say anything out loud without offending somebody else, right? So that's part of the climate that we're in. Um, so all of that being said, I want to begin by reading a scripture From the Old Testament. I'm sure some of you probably know it. Uh, I I was talking through this with Robin yesterday. And it goes like this. Well, first of all, I was asking myself this question. As Christians, with as confusing as everything has been in this past season. Is it possible for a Christian... To know how to live in this time. Does the Bible give a clear directive that goes past whatever our opinion is about anything at all? Is there something we can interpret from the text that will show us how to live? This was kind of a question I was asking out loud to myself. And I got this this passage came to mind. It's found in the Old Testament minor prophet book of Micah. It's in chapter 6. And it goes like this. God has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? That's the question. And here's the answer. To act justly, love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. So this this we're kind of we're going to kind of frame this interview today using that passage. Like if we took nothing else away from today, we're going to take a lot of stuff away that's really good, but man, that's really what we're anchoring our our conversation and our hope on is to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God because this is what he requires from us. All right? So So, I think that this is a really powerful verse. And the thing that impresses me the most about this verse for this moment is our need, our collective need for humility, our individual need for humility, and our collective need for humility. There's a posture that's associated with humility. A person who is is humble, who is walking in humility, is quick to listen and slow to speak. And I think that as I have worked with Robin and Donna over the years, one thing I have noticed them about them is that they have over and over been taking this posture of humility. And the current climate of our culture is to be quick to speak and quick to give opinions and to not really listen at all. So I think that that would be one of the things that would mark Christian people is that they would have, they would have a posture of humility, that they would be very slow to speak and that they would be very quick to listen. Amen. So, okay. That's my preamble. That was a really long preamble. I apologize, but I wanted to, I wanted to set this up for y'all. So, um. So question number one, are y'all ready for this? So the first, the first question that I, w- I wanted to ask y'all was this. Um, when, when we were in staff meeting the other day, you guys started talking about your, your personal vision for Queen City Church. Some of the things that the Lord spoke to you early on. Can you guys just tell us What it is that you feel particularly called to at Queen City Church?
0: Yes, um, that's a great question. (laughs) Well, to answer it, um, and I've thought, I've thought through these questions here over the last number of days, but to answer that question, I felt like it's really helpful to look at the origins of the church and really what's happened over the years and so when I go back um, almost eleven years now I was uh, had been a senior pastor at Morning star for 14 uh, well for eleven out of the, the 14 years I was there and at what became the end of my time there the emphasis had shifted to be a more politically oriented not entirely but there was a definite shift towards the whole political orientation when that was really not my my personal uh focus but um having been through a lot of church stuff for you know over 50 years um I didn't, I didn't feel like I fit, and I did obviously wind up leaving, but I didn't leave for that reason. And I have, I have a philosophy I've tried to abide by, and I think it's been important to me. I've realized over time that you can leave something or you can go to something. And there's a difference. They both look the same, but your posture and your motivation is is not necessarily the same. And so, um, I didn't want to leave in in reaction to not really feeling connected to what was going on in in some ways. So, at a given point, the Lord showed me, and really showed me quite clearly that he was calling me to start a church for a generation that had felt spiritually um, homeless, or there's a lot of way you can describe this. They were no longer in the church there that I was pastoring. Um, and I knew I'd been called to creative types. And in the, the beginning, it seemed like particularly musicians. And as the Lord spoke to me and, um, It's wonderful. The Lord's so good to me, but he he hardly, believe it or not, he doesn't rebuke me that much. I know maybe I missed some of that. But anyway, the Lord told me that if I didn't answer this call to help them, he would go find someone else that he wanted to do it. And so through this process of talking with Donna and also um, my three sons and some others, very other dear people, I decided what I needed to do was leave that church that I'd been with 14 years and answer this call. So after talking to the leadership at Morningstar, um, actually uh, Rick Joyner told me he knew two years before I was leaving. He didn't tell me that. But anyway, after talking to them, I left with their blessing in – um a positive, non-divisive way. Um, I know enough about what happens when you do things for the wrong reasons in the kingdom. And so, uh, anyway, that's a little little bit of background. I think Donna, Donna and I've talked about this. Some I think she had some she wanted to share. Maybe.
2: Yeah. This was um, it was back in 2010 is when we started the church. And um, we have four children of our own, three sons and a daughter. And at that time, they were all in their 20s. And so really through them, we had contact with a whole lot of young people. Um, we knew of a lot of awesome young people who had loved the Lord and um, really were just sort of Floundering in their faith and um, struggling in their faith, not not feeling like there was a place where they really belonged, and so we and and our children and their friends had a real heart for this particular group of kids, and so that was um, that was on our heart when we started. Um, was we wanted to provide a place for them to recapture their hearts and to give them a place where they belonged. And we also hoped that um, there would be other older folks or seasoned folks in the Lord that would join us. And for a long time, it was just Robin and me, and all these young people, and Tony and Karen. Um, and it was um, it was interesting. It was fun. Um, and then over time, I guess I mean, here we are now. I remember Robin spoke a lot on the love of God, um, on the goodness of God during that time, and it was just a real healing for a lot of these young folks and for us too, really. Um, And now here we are 10-plus years later, and um, some of those young folks are still here. Um, A lot of them have families of their own. Some have moved on to other things. Some have been called on to other places. But I think, um, you know, this period of time has made us really look at what we really believe we're called to do so we can get with it. We can focus on it and really be deliberate in what we do. And we still see a generation really struggling in their faith and want to be able to, um, for the Lord to use us to, to help capture their hearts again and give them a place where they can belong and also strengthen these families that we have with us um, do things to help grow their faith, and um, really I want to build something that my children and my grandchildren for years and years and years are going to want to be a part of. Amen. So that's a little of our heart there. Really
0: Did you have something to add? Yeah, um that sort of brings us to, you know, where we are right now. And when I look back over the last um, three or four years, I feel like, Uh, To to be honest, I feel like we've drifted some, and um, as far as me personally, during that period of time, I had, um, of course, two knee operations. One's a knee replacement, pretty serious um, operation, and then we were trying to find a place we could call our own. You know, we were in the Visualite, and then we had a building across the street for offices and kids, and... So then we went through a pretty intense process of renovating this building, which is a miracle building. If if I could tell you the whole story of how we got this place, it would just really show you the purpose of God, that he has something he really does have for us to do. And we didn't have the money. I overestimated by like 100% what it's going to cost to repair it. And um, we've put, three hundred and I don't know, fifty thousand dollars in it when we didn't even have a third of that in the bank. But people stood up and gave and just amazing, amazing things happened. So then COVID hit. How many of you remember that year? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what COVID has done for you know, God works everything together for good. We need to realize these great truths of the Bible. When COVID came, what it really has done for us, it's caused us to reevaluate everything. And so um, our staff and uh, a team of people that we have are really in the process of a refocus and trying to focus more clearly on what our mission is now and how we need to implement it. And part of that process has been to develop a mission statement. And so... We have a work in process about um, about a mission statement, and let me just read what I'm looking at right now. It's not necessarily the the end product, but I can I can just share it this way. The cultural story being told in our generation makes the world a dark and confusing place for many people. The church has also become a confusing place too. As a result, many are struggling with their faith, and they don't know what to do. A lot of people in that category. As we focus on the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can impart faith, hope, and love to those around us. But if we don't, people who need us will never get the help that we can provide. And so talking some with John Mark, and uh, we have a mutual friend uh, named Dan Duke. And Dan Duke made this statement one time that sort of summed up In a nutshell, and it's not complete, but it's really something simple. We can look at like three core values. Intimacy with Jesus, respect for the scriptures, and kindness, kindness to everyone. And so that's um, some of what we've been thinking through here lately. So our heart really is to focus on what it means to follow Jesus. And what it means um, for the kingdom of God for our personal individual lives as well as um, our families. Now I can talk a little bit more about where I think the church is going. We have another question coming up down the road here. But anyway, that's sort of our answer to question number one.
1: Well, I really appreciate when you were talking about having a church... Not just for your kids, but for your grandkids. There's there's this thought to the future, and I, I think that Amy and I have always thought that way. Like we want we want a sustainable faith that will will last generations through our families, right? And and um, I I also appreciate what you were talking about, Robin, about having having a a place where we. Our, our main focus is to lead people to the person of Jesus Christ, and I think it's so important because I, I'm thinking of one conversation that I had with a 28 year old young man. This was a couple of months ago now, and he was he he felt so confused because within the church he was hearing so many conflicting political opinions. That were intertwined with with faith statements. That he, he he saw that his only option at that point was to disassociate himself from the church because he couldn't grab a hold on of this political side, and he couldn't grab a hold on of this political side, and all he had left was confusion. And so, through the course of a couple conversations, you know, that we had together. Uh, you know, I was able to just show him a path that we can actually see in scripture that you can, you can have a political opinion or you can have an opinion about the way the world is, but you can still cling to Jesus. Like, like the lordship of Jesus is greater than your opinion about the way the world is. And I think that I, what I hear you all saying is that Queen City, the focus, the mission, and your heart's focus, or Queen City in particular, is really just to keep bringing people to that place. Am I hearing you correctly? Yeah. Well, well, we'll you know, jumping on to this next question here. Um, so, Robin and Donna, I know that you are like anybody else. You have your own thoughts and your own opinions about everything, about political things, about just about anything. Um, so let me ask you, and this, this might be a little tough, but I wanted to ask you guys, why have you chosen to remain relatively quiet from the pulpit surrounding politics and the election? And what is your heart behind not using the pulpit as a sounding board for one political party or another?
0: <laughs> In a nutshell, I'd didn't want to i didn't want to polarize people um i have certain spiritual gifts i have a certain spiritual calling um i have ways i can help people but i felt like if i expressed my own particular political views which are they are conservative um in a way that polarized people, there are people that I could help that wouldn't let me help them because they would be defended with my political views. Um, and and I think it's fairly obvious you can't, you don't change people's minds by posting your position on social media. You just reinforce what people already think. or You make people mad or, you know there are a lot of other things that happen, but so I've chosen to try to stay focused on the gospel and help people with what I know and understand, and have received from the Lord. And if I do that, and if I do it well, I could help people no matter what their political positions are. Um, and I, something that really bothers me personally is what's becoming us versus them mentality, because that's not going to heal the divide we have in the nation. And, um, now let, let me say this. I've been pretty disgusted with the way I felt and some of my own heart responses, um, over these weeks and months. Um, and it, it, it bothers me to read 1st Corinthians 13, quite frankly, when I see the standard for For love, and I'll read a couple of these verses. It says, love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not, uh uh-oh, here we go, easily irritated or quick to take offense Love is a safe place of shelter for it never stops believing the best for others. And so that's a pretty high standard of what it is to live in the spirit. That's what that's the description of. I failed in many of those, many of those cases, you know.
1: Yeah, I think we all do. Yeah,
0: yeah. But I think that's the point, that we're way more alike than we are different. When it comes to the basic carnality, you know, we all really are sort of operating from the same set of givens yeah. as we try to follow Jesus and let that life of Jesus live in us and influence our attitudes and our actions. And also we've been called to be a multi-generational church. And, um, I'll, I'll be honest there. There are a couple of generations below me I don't understand. (laughs) And I'm sure there's another one coming up behind them. But if we don't let people communicate about how they think and what they feel and why they think that way, we'll never understand them. And we have to have a certain level of understanding to be able to talk to people and help them and do what we can for them. Now, that may make us uncomfortable. I don't remember. So be it. I'm sorry? I said, so be it. Well, I don't think we have a choice. I remember um, I worked for a company for 12 years, and the boss's wife was talking to me about what it means to grow up, and she said she had never been in a situation she could not avoid until she was having a baby. And as the birth pangs began, she said, I'm not doing this. (laughs) No, you are doing
1: this.
0: (laughs) And we could try to escape this last year, but guess what? No, you're doing this. You're going through this. Now, how you go through it and what you get from it, and if it's a year of loss or if it's a year of taking up personal ground and developing character and doing some of the things we don't come to naturally, that's going to be up up to each of us. But we really have been called to be a, a multi-generational
1: church. So. Did you want to add anything to that, Donna?
2: Um, not not much. Okay. But um, I'll just reinforce what Robin said. Um, it, and I think, too, Nobody has told me this, but I've felt like you know, people probably have been a bit disappointed in us for not giving more direction concerning this, the political things in this time and all. And um, but we really, really, the confusion of the time has forced us to really try to know what the Lord's called us to. And we realized if we let a political um, side identify who our church was, we were going to alienate ourselves from a lot of those we're really called to benefit and help. And so um, we that, that's what we've tried to do. We've tried to stay true to what we're called to do. And um, I guess really most... I know Robin has always told people, you've got to vote your conscience. And that was, you know, it didn't offer much more than that. Um, That's what we have to do. That's what we have to do. And in the end, we stand and fall before the Lord. And um, we need to afford each other the freedom to do that also. So that's where we've been.
0: I did think about, I was actually talking to Brian Simmons, you remember Brian wrote the Passion Translation, and um, we need to pray for Brian. He's got um, viral and bacterial pneumonia, but so far he's hasn't had to be hospitalized. But as I was talking to him about some of these things, he was saying that he'd adopted pretty much the same posture we had, and he said now the people... That really wanted him in the middle of things are either apologizing or arguing with each other, and that's not that good a that's not that good a, good a situation. But I did think about when they took the coin to, when they went to Jesus and they said, um, "Is it lawful us for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not?" And Jesus realized in one way they were trying to trick him. He said, why do you test me? Show me a denarius. That was the coin. And he said, whose image and inscription does it have? They answered, they said, Caesar's. And so Jesus said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And that's not the first time that happened to him. They tried to pull him into an issue over dividing up an inheritance and a family and Jesus wouldn't, wouldn't do it. But, um, the point I believe Jesus was making was you decide, you decide. And I grew up that way. When I was in college, uh, I was a hippie and I was going to go to this rock concert before I really gave my life to Jesus. It was a big festival down in Atlanta. And it was, uh, I think in between my sophomore and, In junior year, maybe it was. (laughs) I told my mom, hey, I'm going to go down to this Atlanta Pop Festival. and She got over in the corner with my dad and tried to get my dad to talk me out of it. My dad said, you don't understand. He's not asking our permission. He's telling us what he's going to do. And what my dad was telling my mom was, we've raised him. He's got to to choose. He's got to decide. We can't. Now. I was making the wrong decision, but um, then I was going to get married. Let me just, this is the way my dad was. And I went to my dad for advice, and I said, Dad, I'm thinking about getting married. And he met Donna, and um, I said, what can you tell me? And he said, well, this is the way it is, son. You you make your choices, and you take your chances. <laughs> I said, What? here 's what he was saying. You decide you he decide. liked me
2: though he
0: did. <laughs> yeah, <Amen. laughs> He liked me better than your dad liked me i 'll tell you that, <laughs> but I grew on him, so anyway, um, we we want to help people make. Biblically based decisions that, that the life of Jesus and the scripture and can help people make good decisions, um, on the issues that come up. So, I made a good decision. Amen. Yeah. I would say how many years later, but I'm afraid I'll get it wrong, but I think it's 45. <laughs> Coming up. Coming up.
1: Okay, I got another question for y'all, and this question—I'm jumping ahead to question four. If you guys are—if you guys want to stay on track with me, but uh, I'm thinking—I'm thinking about a message that you preached. Either it was last week or the week before, and you were talking about Jesus's disciples and and, and the variety of people that Jesus called to following him. Yeah. And uh, if you, if you didn't hear. Robin's message on that, go look it up. It's fantastic. But it did strike me, I I, I think I kind of knew this in the background, but it really struck me how different each of those twelve disciples that Jesus called to follow him were. I mean, we're talking different political persuasions, yeah. different classes. Yeah. Like there were there were people on that team who held vastly, and some might say opposing world views. Okay? If you if you think about Team Jesus and you thought that everybody on that team was thinking the exact same thing all the time because they were following Jesus, well you'd be wrong. One of them was a zealot. He was trying to overthrow the government because he thought that the government was corrupt. I mean, there were there were peace nicks on the team, there were You know, people that were into money, like it was a tax collector. And then obviously, that's not to say anything about Judas. And there were poor fishermen. I mean, there were all kinds of people on that team. And, and, you know, obviously, the scripture is not completely explicit about the differences. But you can extrapolate that there were different people who had different thoughts. Okay? So... One of the things that I've actually always appreciated about you guys is that you don't require people to think and act exactly like you to be a part of Queen City Church. Uh, I think that one of the greatest things that I've learned from you is that we don't all have to be exactly the same in order to be united in Christ. In some ways, I think that I think of Queen City Church as being a prototypical church where people can have varying political and theological views, but still consider one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I was recently listening to a debate where there was the, the issue at hand doesn't even matter with what I'm about to say. But there was a man named Brad Jerzak who was, he was about to give his opposing view against the person he was arguing with. But before he gave his opposing view, he said this, I want to humbly submit that this person is far more spiritual and mature than I am. And I want to tell everybody that I honor him before I tell you all why I disagree with him. And I heard that. I thought, that is genius. That is the genius of the love of the kingdom of God where you can, you can have disagreement in a realm and still sow love and honor in the direction of the person that you disagree with. And it was just such a, uh, it was such an encouragement to me. You know, sometimes when you hear people debating and you walk away and you feel sapped of energy and strength, I actually gained traction in my ears to hear what this man was saying because he was being so generous and loving towards the person that he disagreed with. And I thought, man, that is, that's how I want to be. But but, but let me ask you to this. Why do you think that it is so important not to cut off relationships with people who think differently than you? Why is it important to stick with folks even when they strongly differ in their political opinions from you?
0: (laughs) That's easy. Well, people... Different from me may very well have something I need. It may not even be what I want.
1: Say, say that again, Robin. That's really good. Yeah, that'll mess with you on
0: it. No, people, I learned, I learned something. Let me, let me preface it by this. I am very, I have a history of being very easily offended. How many of you knew that? Good. Here's my point. The Lord showed me that one of the devil's primary tactics to keep you from receiving everything you should receive from God is by having you become offended with someone who has something you need. Paul says we're not ignorant of his devices. And someone you're supposed to actually help. So be careful with your offenses. It's a trap. But people different from me can have something I really need, even if I don't want it. Um, even thinking about the Bible, when it says that the highest most accurate forms of prophecy, it says in First in Corinthians, are incomplete. It says we prophesy in part, we know in part. Um, so we need each other. And no one, no one really has it all exactly right. And um, you could actually be cutting off the very grace you need from someone because you don't. You've decided you don't like them, or you've you're alienated, alienated from them. People come into our lives that bother us, and sometimes it's because we need bothering. Sometimes we need to die in areas that we would never want to go through. It's the cross. It really is. And how will you understand people if you don't listen to them, if you don't give them a chance to to tell us who they are? I don't know if you're familiar with Jordan Peterson, but Jordan Peterson's been in this huge debate, well, years ago in Canada over um, actually what it comes down to is it's restricting speech, And see, the only way you can ever really grow and develop and change your mind is through talking to people. Even if you disagree with them, if you hear what they have to say, maybe you'll understand things a different way, or maybe you'll realize, no, that person's crazy. Right? But if you restrict... Communication, and you'd restrict debate, or you restrict the, uh, uh, talking to people that are different from you. That that's that's not that's not good. I know when Paul Anleitner was here, um, it meant a lot to some people, and other people didn't like it at all. But we need to understand, we really need to understand these different generations and how are we going to understand them if we don't hear what they have to say, really. Um, and two things, good things can happen. It can change what you believe or it can cause you, for good reason, to strengthen your original view through that process of communication. But I don't know, you know, why should we be afraid of that? That's that's my position. That's how I feel about it. But you don't see the world as it is. You see the world as you are. Through your filters, through your lenses, your predetermined ideas and values, what if your lenses are colored by fear or anxiety or prejudice or hurt or disappointment? How are you going to get out of that? How are you going to get through that? If you don't through, go through some form of communication or challenge, I don't want to be stuck.
1: And I, I'd like to just acknowledge that I have a whole lot of my own set of prejudices and uh, and and my own biases, and it's it's actually impossible to live without having those things. And 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 so so saying that. My question before the Lord has been constantly, Lord, help me. Will you help me continually surrender my opinion to you? Because it feels like a lot of times folks are more inclined to believing their own opinion about something um, which is fine but in the life of a christian there there is this issue of lordship there's this issue of discipleship where jesus is continually becking beckoning us out of the thought processes and systems of the world into his thought process and we cannot get there If we don't even at first acknowledge that we have a bias or an offense or, you know, we see Jesus in the scriptures over and over um, confronting people with the truth and inevitably or invariably there's some kind of offense on the hearer's part. And Jesus is continually just beckoning folks to him. Just follow me. Just follow me. Just follow me. So. What I hear y'all saying is that, I mean, over the course of this conversation, the emphasis for y'all is really that we are, we are as a community wanting to focus our eyes on the Lord himself. We believe that he is the most important person in the room. And that's what we're trying to stay committed to. Two, he's the one we're trying to stay committed through more than anything else, more than any idea, more than any opinion. He is the one that we can all agree on is worth following. Is it would that be a fair assessment, Donna? <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> um, well, yes, that's that's it. We're gonna wrap this up, y'all. We won't hold you hostage for too much longer, but we just Do y'all, do y'all feel the importance of this conversation? Like we really feel like this was a really important thing that we, we have, you know, we make this known to y'all about uh, where we've been and where we're headed and what our path forward is. So, um, Robin and Donna sent me an email when they, when we were preparing for this and, They they use this phrase, beautiful future like we have a beautiful future. And I love that because when I turn on the news, that's the last I never hear that. I never hear we have a beautiful future. You know, the church, the body of Christ has a beautiful future. It may include hard times, but our future is beautiful. And, and the Lord is discipling his bride. He's discipling his people into that beautiful future. So the final question that I want to ask you all is, where do we go from here? As, as a church, what, is, what do you think is our path forward together through through even this, this next present season?
2: I'm going to start that was something I felt like the Lord used to to really encourage me this week. Um, it, in such a turbulent time that we've been in, um, I need an anchor. Um, and um, I believe that anchor is in this, the simple truths of the gospel. And so um, I've, I've just been giving myself to reading the gospels, just reading back through the gospels over and over and um, um, this week, I was reading in Mark, and I was in Mark chapter six, and where it's the story of um, after feeding the five thousand, Jesus sends his disciples on ahead, and he stays and waits till the last of the people are gone, and then he goes up to the mountain to pray. And I'm just going to read this short little part of that passage, and and tell you how the Lord encouraged me in it. Um, After feeding the 5,000, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he went up into the boat to them and the wind ceased and they were greatly Amazed in themselves beyond measure and marvelled. And while I was reading it, I thought, "Yeah, they were rowing against the wind." And I thought, "Man, we have been rowing against the wind for a long time now. It seems it's been so much. It's been um, it's been so hard to know how you do church during this season. You know, um, we." We're not having the home groups. There's so much we're not doing. We have started meeting together, and we're grateful for that, and we want to move ahead, but we don't know how fast we can move ahead and what we can do. It's like we've been rowing against the wind. But I realized um, one thing the Lord has spoken, has really put on Robin's heart throughout, was to stay the course, not make huge changes during this time, but to stay the course, keep moving ahead, um, and it blessed me to see that Jesus saw, he saw, now this was in the middle of the night and they were already several miles away out there on the sea, but Jesus saw, he saw what was going on. Um, and then he went to them, but if, when I read this passage in a couple of other gospels, it sounded like Jesus didn't immediately go. Um, it was closer to morning time that Jesus went and um, was was passing by or seeming to pass by, and it scared the daylights out of them. Um, so he said, "Hey guys, hey guys, it's okay, it's me." And he had to convince them that it was him before they let him in the boat. It seemed because in in John, when in this passage it says, when they were willing to receiving in the boat. Um, And so these are the things the Lord was speaking to me. That he sees. He sees exactly what's going on. And he was telling them, don't be afraid. And be willing to receive him into our circumstance. Often this means it involves a surrender. It involves a surrender to him. Um, But to allow him to do something in his heart that he's trying to do during this time. And then... When, um, when Jesus did get in the boat with them, it says the wind ceased. Actually, in John, it says immediately they were where they were going when he came, when they brought him into the boat with them. And that just encouraged me. It encouraged me to see that, um, the Lord wants to be in the boat with us. So, there you go.
0: Well, we have, we've been making plans and, um, so where do we go from here in a practical way? Um, well, we want to focus on discipleship. We mentioned this on following Jesus. Um, we're planning to offer a course on the basics of the faith called the Alpha Course, where you meet once a week. It's supposed to really, Andy's been through it, and I know others have. We want to try to do that tentatively late spring or the summer. We're making plans, again, to have home groups in the fall. Uh, we want to have picnics again as soon as it's pa- uh, possible. Um, we want to continue to try to build a friendly, hospitable community to help folks connect and belong and to serve. We don't feel like um, we've done as good a job of that as we, we need to in the past, but we do want to improve on it. We want to co- continue to build healthy strong children and um, strong youth group. We're going to need the Lord to help us with that. But I'll just sort of close with this. Anything else you might want to say to Andy? But prior to COVID, now this was before this season started, which was really to me, how many of you remember when um, Kobe Bryant uh, died in that helicopter crash? Well, it's been determined that the uh, pilot suffered from spatial disorientation, and I've preached on that any number of times, but for those of you who haven't heard it, spatial disorientation is a consist, is a, a condition where when a pilot is in a blackout or cannot see the ground, he becomes disoriented to the degree that he wrecks the aircraft if he does not have um, his instruments. And you will, if you're in spatial disorientation, you will wreck a plane 100% of the time because you cannot depend on how you feel because your inner ear is not registering accurately with what's up and what's down. And that's what that pilot did. He got spatially disoriented. He flew that helicopter into the ground. He thought he was going up and he was going down. He gassed it actually to pick up, to pick up speed. And so that's why we want to continue to respect the scriptures, follow Jesus, develop relationships with people that can help us. But prior to COVID, the Lord gave me three words, not knowing what I was, I was going to need them. Donna mentioned the first one. It will stay the course. Folks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stay the course. The second thing the Lord said is you have nothing to fear. Anytime time Lord tells me I have nothing to fear, it's because there's something to be afraid of. <laughs> <laughs> but he said you have nothing to fear. I have had a lot of fear at different points over this last period, but I know too God is dealing with us. It's okay. It's okay to go through these things, but you have to face them. You have nothing to fear and the last one was the Lord said, um, no matter what you do, I'll back you 100% as long as you're kind. So those were the three words the Lord gave me, so None of, them, none of them are things I would naturally do apart from the goodness of God. Yeah. I would quit. I'd be afraid. <laughs> and I'd be me. Yes, yes. So- I have a testimony of the goodness of God in my life. Yes. <laughs> well,
1: amen. And I think, I think probably every person in here can kind of relate to that through the season of that temptation to give up. You know to give up on the church in general, to give up on America, even or whatever you know there's just some these moments where we're so spent and and so uh drained of of energy and hope and um you know my my hope today is that you you've heard Robin and Donna's heart, and you've been encouraged, and I just want to say. You know to all everybody here and then everybody that's listening online and beyond, like thank you for being a part of this family. like we love you and we need you and and um you know, Amy and I have kind of been taking inventory recently about the number of young people that are coming into our midst into our orbits, and we some some of you you, you older saints that are my age and older. Thank you for sticking with us and helping us to pastor these these young folks who really do want to follow Jesus and want to know how to live. You know, I was talking with uh, with somebody recently, and uh, it, well, it was it was a young person who just moved to Charlotte and had joined and started coming to Queen City. And all they wanted to talk about was the Holy Spirit. They had gone to a Baptist Bible college and they had been introduced to the Holy Spirit and just came into our room and just was so fascinated by everybody's openness to the Holy Spirit. And I don't even consider us that charismatic on some levels. I mean, we don't do... I mean, we're we're kind of charismatic light around here, you know. But it was just so neat to hear from some young people who were hungry for the Lord and hungry for the Holy Spirit and wanted to connect themselves to us because they got this sense that we actually had something to impart. And you have as much to do with that as anybody else. So, I mean, we all, all, everyone who's a member of the body of Christ has a part to play, right? And so, Thank you for not giving up on the church. Thank you for not giving up on this church. And I think if we follow these, these, uh, these values, intimacy with Jesus, a respect for the word of God, and being kind to all people in this next season, we are really going to head into this beautiful future. Amen? Amen. Well, let's just close in prayer and then we'll, de- we'll be dismissed and um, we'll, go, we'll go brave the rain. <laughs> well, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for, first of all, thank you for your redeeming work on the cross. Thank you that by the work that you did on the cross, everything was finished. Everything was completed. The work of redemption was completed. And now the work is to announce the inauguration of the kingdom of God in the earth. And Lord, my prayer for us today is that we would each see ourselves as a part of that kingdom. And that we would act as citizens of that kingdom first. Lord Jesus, we want to just say to you that we surrender our lives and we want you to be the Lord of our lives again. Today, we want to say that to you, Lord, and we thank you for this time together. We pray a blessing on all the folks here and online and all the families represented here for people that need healing in their bodies. We ask you right now to heal bodies that need healing, Lord, for folks that are broken hearted this morning. We just we pr- we proclaim liberty. We proclaim liberty to them. And Lord, we thank you that you're still working. And we say, have your way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. God bless everybody.
0: You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.